Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Internet DNA with me, Abby. And me, Dan. This week, we're going to discuss sci-fi books and how the author's imagination may have impacted technology as we know it. The one that always springs to mind with this, for me, is William Gibson invented the word avatar to use in his books for when people were in their virtual world. And that's become, I don't know, part of the Oxford Dictionary now. Can you think of any others like that, Dan, that were just, I wasn't there, tablets and things, weren't they out of Star Trek, something like that? Yeah, no, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But funnily enough, I'm actually rereading Neuromancer as we speak, because I think I read it quite young. And it's quite interesting to read it now when you're older, because I think when you read it, a lot of those things seemed fantastical. And now they seem kind of not far away. Yeah, I and mean, personally, I think William Gibson has single-handedly shaped technology as we know it. Everything he said, everything he did is now happening. My favorite book of his was Virtual Light with the cyberpunk. Did he invent cyberpunks? Probably. <laughs> um, she was a sort of kid on a skateboard. The only thing I'm really upset about is that my absolute favorite author, Neil Stevenson, his book, Snow Crash. If you read Snow Crash and then you read Virtual Light, you go, oh, ooh, they're quite similar, which is a bit of a shame. So I probably shouldn't have read Virtual Light. Everything else Neil Stevenson has done is utterly spot on. But the amazing thing about w- William Gibson is he's still writing. I don't know how old he is. Only a couple of years ago, he wrote Peripheral, which was all about these people wearing haptics, going into a separate world, uh, what happened there, how it could affect you outside of the sort of thing that is talked about a lot in sci-fi now but he's still so spot on and I read one spook country all about how if you wore glasses 3d glasses you could go around and have a sort of art experience you didn't have to go to an art gallery you'd just see you know outside the viper club in los angeles there was river phoenix dead on the street someone liked to do dead celebrities but you could go around and have your own art exhibition, just a beautiful sculpture in a garden that no one else was seeing. And he called it locomotive art. And again, very cool. I wouldn't be surprised if that hadn't started being called that as well. Sorry, my rant about someone yeah, I mean, that I think will be recognised as a great in the, the beginning of this industry that we're in. I also think the thing about sci-fi is it's a reflection of the future as envisaged by today if you see what I mean I yeah mean, I... But, but today with people with incredible foresight you ask most people they'd go oh yeah well we'll probably they'll still be talking about flying cars now that was imagined by sci-fi writers 50 60 years ago because um, at that time if you think about it cars and flight were new and so they were thinking about what would be the logical extension so if you go back to the first ever sci-fi book which you're which, going to tell me again is Frankenstein by Mary I Shelley. I am, because what, <laughs> that, what she saw was electricity and the fact that we were making massive gains in the understanding of the human body. Yes, and it people was, were it was experimenting. Bi- bioscience that she... Yeah, and so then she saw. took that to its point, which was humans creating another life form, and then investigated what that would mean. And actually, a lot of sci-fi is really about ethics, and it's about... Yes, it is. So, I mean, the the reason why I love Frankenstein is because, especially as a parent, is the fact that... What? In that you've created a monster, which is only a reflection of what you've made he's not. But the monster in Frankenstein is not the monster, is it? It's actually a very gentle being. 
it gets turned into a monster by other people rejecting it. I know, and exactly. So, and that's what you're likening to being a parent. Well, <laughs> in the sense that you can't control another life. So you bring into life a child of yours and you try and guide it down a path. But because it has its own mind, there's only so much you can do to guide it. And it will be subject to the forces of the outside world. And that's why it's an individual human being. And I think that's quite an interesting parallel. I think because Mary Shelley obviously is a woman, she's thinking about that kind of thing as well. That's and what's think- very cool about Frankenstein then. When was it written? 1850 or something. Not only was it the first sci-fi book, but it was written by a woman who in the field of science wasn't really recognized or in literature either. So that is very cool. It was published on the 1st of January, 1818, just to give you an idea of how revolutionary that book was. And so as you go through it, so you go through Asimov phase of the rocket and the space exploration, because that's something that people are looking to do at that time. And then you get into things where it's more world building, where people are trying to imagine cultures. Okay, the cultures, obviously, you love E&M Banks. Yes, he even calls them cultures, and that's yes. the looking at humanity, different races, how we live and how we would live amongst different species. And also, the purpose of a human being in a universe where you're miles away from being the most intelligent, able being. And so what is your purpose and how does culture work and how do humans interact, or not just humans, obviously, in the culture, how do different races interact Given that, pretty much everything that they need to do is managed by AI. So they're in a wantless, a genderless, a raceless culture because you can change your gender, you can change your race mostly, and you don't have any needs because it's provided for. Because I think human beings need something. And in fact, well, most of the ENM banks are about human trying to find a purpose. Well, that's going to happen, isn't it? As AI takes, as everyone says, takes my job, as, as AI gets clever, is used more in business, is used more in everything, healthcare, production lines, law, then we are going to have to reestablish what makes us us. And it's always been work that has defined us because it's taken up so much of our day. So what ENM banks is talking about is going to become reality, like we said. Or it may be, or it may not. We may return to some sort of cyber feudalism where we're effectively... Post-apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think this is the, also Let's the try really... that again. Post-apocalyptic. No, uh, you say it. Post-apocalyptic. Thank you. And I, I, I think <laughs> also like, sci-fi does that interesting thing about utopias and dystopias and understanding that they can actually just be two sides of the same coin. For some people, it is a utopia, and for some people, it really isn't. Well, that's the thing. The life that seems perfect is always the one that, in the end, everyone tries to escape from, be that, you know, that's the matrix, that's... Also, if you think about that blurring of the line between the virtual and the real, which I think the film is Inception, where he has a... That's probably my most favourite movie. He has a weight where he has to spin it because he knows that the very tiny variations are the only thing that he can tell whether it's real or not real. I'm reading an utterly extraordinary book at the moment. I'd never come across this guy. Uh, the book's called Genomen, or Geno, 
moment and it's by Nick Harkaway and it uses that premise as well that a lot of the time it's about to find out the truth you have to go into people's brains and going into their brains is a bit like dreaming and if you're living their life because you're inside their head then you've got to know the difference when you're back in your life and so she sets up these little tiny things that your brain couldn't do if it was foxing you i.e. it couldn't do a dream or it couldn't do if it's living an alternative reality and actually the book is so in-depth and it goes to so many different places I thought possibly it was his life's work that he'd put it all into one book but it's not it's his second book and last night I was just reading a bit and it was talking about this older guy seeing his granddaughter who's in a very sort of high-tech business in Shoreditch and he says computers were the bones but imagination ambition and possibility were the blood and I love that because I'm forever telling people that what we do it's not here you go it's done it's the tools and you still need everything on top of that to create whatever it is you want to create in my job it might be your brand it might be your product you still need all that creativity on top of the the bones the the tools the structure of the website do you not think that we'll be able to get to a a, let's call it a machine sentience that will just understand creativity we'll just know let's say through machine learning which is basically how we all learn not through machine learning but through learning what works and what doesn't work but it would be almost foolish to imagine that anything a human being can do or does do now won't be reproducible i agree i just thought that was a beautiful beautiful sentence i remember the film that also is everyone's living in a perfect utopia and then they realize it's wrong and they hate it and they try and get out and it was the adjustment bureau which is a philip k dick book who of course is another one of my favorite writers yeah so obviously blade runner is what everyone knows but my favorite one is with the blue cornflowers. Yeah, through a scanner darkly. Scanner darkly, yes. Yeah, oh, I that one that is absolutely well. beautiful. And so apt, talking about the whole world has been sedated with these drugs to try and keep humanity, to try and keep crime and, and boredom in check. And it's exactly what's happening now. Everyone is, there's an epidemic of methadone, isn't there? So Scanner Darkly is exactly what's happening now. The other book, the other author I love that I always think is quite spot on is Michael Marshall Smith. And he's not very well known, but one of his books, he has a cat called Spangle, which I loved him for that. And I always want a cat. I don't want a cat, but if I did, I'd call it Spangle. But he wrote a book about organ farming, which basically is going to happen pretty soon. But the people that ran the farms were the insurance company, which was always quite dark, quite... Sinister? Sinister. Quite sinister that the insurance companies... And I think didn't... Philip K. Dick did many. It's not Black Mirror. Electric Dream series. And so they had taken... I think possibly even different directors had all taken Philip K. Dick short stories, of which most of them were, and adapted them. And some of them are very interesting. Yeah, I watched a thing called Altered Carbon, which I absolutely loved, actually. Yes, I I like that as well. And I really liked the concept about if you could never die or if it was possible to stop yourself from ever dying and how that that concentrates wealth and power because they are the people that basically live the longest. And it reminded me a little bit of Jared Diamond's collapse where he's talking about the Iceland Vikings a Greenland Viking. And the book is about how societies collapse. And it goes from like a single reason. And the end one is is the Greenland Vikings, which is a lot of different reasons why that society collapsed. But I think that one of the last lines or one of the lines in the final chapter was that the rich reserved themselves the right to die last, which I thought was really an interesting, because almost that's the most terrible thing, to be the last people, to know that it's coming, to know that 
there is no way out. I just thought it was a really interesting concept. And I thought that... What, that everyone's going to die in the end? Yeah, and I think one of the things that is interesting about it at the moment is what will die? Will the human species die? But not because we're all dead, but because we have changed into something else. You know, much like Homo habilis has died or all the other, you know, Homo erectus and all of that. They're dead. We say they're extinct, but they're not really extinct because they've evolved into something else. And are we going to evolve in a slightly different way, which is we're going to evolve into a biomechanical or bioelectrical or even an abstract that actually it starts to bring up really interesting questions about what is actually life. If you're thinking and sentient, then does the fact that you're attached to blood and bone does it matter does it matter really and it's one of the things that i always found interesting about the matrix was not the matrix but how people got to be in the matrix because that would have had to have been at least at the beginning a voluntary thing people said oh actually i want to upload myself i don't want to feel pain i want to live in a virtual world before long you get a switch over point where suddenly everybody's in that system but no one lives in the real world everyone lives in the virtual reality well there's a film surrogate with Bruce Willis, which is exactly that. They are, they're sold, it's advertising, they're sold a better life in that why go out as you when you can go out as your avatar who is the better you and you're more beautiful, more witty, you can't die, you can't have an accident. So everybody goes, oh yeah, you're thinner, you're taller, you're everything you want to be. So everybody goes, oh yeah, why would I go out as me? And so everybody is at home in their haptic beds projecting themselves back into the world as these avatars as these virtual people which is exactly what you're saying and then the system could take over which is what happens in the matrix and keep you prisoner so you're no longer yeah and that provides itself a parallel to modern life in many ways whether this is a virtual reality or not in reality it would be indistinguishable from your life now if you think about it And, and that's where that interesting thing is am i in virtual reality or is this real is this being controlled i mean you can get into really dark places if you want to but what i think is really an interesting concept at the moment is where does humanity end and machinery start if you're going to say right if somebody lives in an amniotic fluid for their entire life jacked into a vr system what part of human is that what part of real what what is real those are the interesting questions i think that uh, i think that we will gradually fall into that i mean one of my favorite books is manchurian candidate that was the film it wasn't called that i don't I think in the book, which I believe is another Neil Stevenson book. And basically the president has a stroke. And as they're putting in the help to heal his stroke, they realize that they can make him do things. So the electronics they're putting in his brain to sort of write his language, write his face, they realize that through those electronics, they can make him do things. And so they are able to help him win the election by giving him little notifications that talk more on that. People are doing really well and it's very basic that they're giving him little ticks here or something so it's not far in the future sci-fi but that tiny thing can go a bit further into chips in your head you know the google glasses they start to go in your head take that a bit further you can have larger chips in your head you have to learn less you're reliant on this micro brain that is put inside you and it's a bit like wearing glasses why would you go back you couldn't really see before that wearing the glasses you couldn't really think and remember before the chip (laughs) why would you go back and then that goes further and further into that yeah are we human are we robot 
And then you've got this thing a bit like what's happening at the moment, which I feel really sorry for, women with more testosterone than other women. And the certain genetic type that means they're being banned from performing in certain races because they have an advantage. And, yeah, and, and that's so a really we, interesting we, we, start of a conversation because I think it's true that no white man has ever run under 10 seconds. And in fact, everybody who's run under 10 seconds shares one gene that is a marker for this. And then you start to say, well, people who have that gene can't run because they run abnormally faster. Do you see what I mean? It gets you into a really odd place when you start saying, actually, we're going to make chemical judgments on you as to your actual category that you can go in yeah exactly but that's where the whole technology will go as well is well you can't enter this because you've got a better brain because it's been enhanced so we have to create a new category and then suddenly you've got new species you can see how slowly slowly catchy monkey as you say yeah and also the other interesting thing is that technology in a way makes us much more able but the converse of that is the removal of that technology actually makes us a lot less able than we used to like i don't remember a phone number anymore i mean i used to know everybody's phone number just in the top of my head because i had to because yeah now i don't remember anyone's phone number you could probably extrapolate that out into we all buy our food from supermarkets and places and less and less people actually know how to cook probably you could look around your life and there would be maybe one or two people that would actually know how to prepare let's say to skin a rabbit or to find food in the wild or you know all the things that literally 60 years ago would have just been general knowledge and so i think it's quite interesting that it enables us but it also disables us at the same time does that make sense it does i mean that's what i find really interesting about sci-fi is it, it what it does is it looks at all of the things we've been talking about today and tries to project a form of either ethics or morality or or even not project but question what would be the ethics in this situation what would be the morality of this situation where we've got morals that are based around very fixed ideas of what a human being is and and how the world is and how the world reacts to things when you start moving into where a world is programmable and editable do the things that make things bad in the real world really matter anymore because they have no real effect. If you could just program, you cannot murder. It's not possible. And so suddenly... Which is you the get... minority report. Yeah. Yeah, but that's an interesting question in itself. Every sci-fi book always ends with the fact um, the perfect world has faults. It has glitches and actually it's really bad. And there's a revolution and it must be overturned. Because the minority report, he got accused when he hadn't done something. Uh, I expect in the book that I'm reading, which is a similar premise in that the system can know whether you've done something good or bad, but even the purest and best of systems will have a fault somewhere. And so every single sci-fi is about Armageddon in the end. Or not. No, but it is. Name me me a book or sci-fi where they go, oh, it's really lovely. We live in this utopian universe and we're really happy and we're never going to go anywhere else. Ian M. Banks, the culture. I mean, he doesn't make a judgment on whether the culture is good or bad. Maybe that's why I found it really boring. Anyway, <laughs> so because my question what, is, or what I was getting to... In, in the culture is that it's run by machines. It's run by AI so ridiculously more advanced than yourself that there is no human greed involved. There is no power no one well, needs you say that but humans will be humans and i wonder if a lot of things in the sci-fi books 
become reality. Are we saying that we are marching towards Armageddon? Are we saying that all this technical advancement, do you think it is going to make a better world? Or do you think it will make a perceived better world and that in the end we'll go back to analog anti-technology because it wasn't a better world because humans will be humans and they need greed and they need envy and they need the seven deadly sins they need to feel alive I guess is the thing I don't know but I wonder if all these science fiction books are actually trying to tell us something really big and we're just ignoring it and marching towards it anyway no, I think that it makes a good story. Especially it's not a, normally me that's doom and gloom, is it? Especially in a Western analogue where we have this idea of good and evil. I would bet you that if you were in a more Eastern or Asian authors wouldn't have quite such this construct of the good and the evil, which is a very, to my mind, a very Western construct. Oh, I don't know. I read the most... I cried about four times, seriously sobbed through this beautiful sci-fi book that was set in Iran, and everyone just died the whole way through. Yeah, I'm sure that's the experience in Iran, isn't it? And they were trying to upload this guy to this computer system. It was so beautifully written, but they were trying to upload him to the computer system because his wife had been run over, his somebody else had done something, and then he got cancer and was going to die, and he wanted to be there for his really young son. But he died and it didn't happen either. <laughs> so I don't know if that's any better. Yeah, and that probably comes out of a culture where you feel powerless. And I don't think that the future will be that different in absolute terms. There will be winners, there will be losers, power concentrates, money concentrates, and that just is the way it is. And until you can supersede those human emotions, and that's what the culture explores, which is if you remove that into machines that are automatically just adjusting the world to be the best it could possibly be. And all the human emotions are dealt with in their own little micro sagas, and they don't actually affect the world at large that much. Then that is an interesting concept because suddenly you remove all this, the evil man at the top, you know, trying to control the minions. But I think that that currently is very much something that we talk about because a lot of people feel that in their life, that they are manipulated into a world that they had no choice in. They have the illusion of choice. They have the illusion of power, but actually nothing they do or say really has any real effect. And I think that's why a lot of science fiction books contemporary expose that feeling to us because that's kind of how we feel. But you think that they're just mimicking the feel of humanity as it is at the moment. Yeah. Uh, there was two things I wanted to say in response to what you said, though. One, you said, I don't think the future's going to change much. It's not going to change much for you because you're going to carry on doing things in a similar sort of way and probably not look up. But for somebody else, when you're 90, the way they live, it's not going to be on your radar. And so you're not going to know that the world has changed. And that's what I mean by in absolute terms. So yes, life will massively change. One of the things I'm really interested in at the moment, for example, is autonomous cars, because really, what does that mean? Once your car stops being something that you need to drive and it just becomes a space that can move from one location to location, you can start to say, well, you can have a meeting room on wheels. Hey, people don't need to own their cars anymore. So you can be really flexible about how you manage that. Plus, you can start to think about how much road do we really need? And it starts to say, well, actually, you could change very much. You could live in effectively a mobile home because the fact you close your door and it turns up at somewhere else it doesn't need to be like being on a tour bus really it brings into 
question so it, the whole yeah. point of belonging or living because actually if you're just going to be on the road why do you actually need to get there why do you need if, to live why anywhere? were you going there to begin with and if you yeah. don't need to go there then and, and why do you have to live anywhere why don't you just live wherever you want to? Like today, I want to live by the sea. Tomorrow, I want to go to the mountainside so I can work from anywhere. Because I, I think that humans, they're not all nomadic. Some are. Some tribes are nomadic. But I think you'd find that even if you could live anywhere, you'd go and live by the beach and then you'd feel you wanted to stay by the beach. And You want to stay with your friends. But if your friends were all mobile, you could say, hey, guys, why don't we go? And then you'd just go. We're very locked into a mentality of I live in a place that is somewhere. But one of the things that that kind of technology might do is remove that and say, actually, one can live anywhere. Why would you live somewhere that you don't want to live today? You might want to live there tomorrow. What I'm trying to say is even that simple thing, driverless cars, opens up a whole world of changing how you live. But in absolute terms of do you feel your life is of any value? Do you feel you have any control over your life? Do you feel that you have enough whatever the currency is? Those things, the actual human things of how do you feel about yourself in an existential way, I don't think really change. I don't think they've probably changed for millennia. I think people feel pretty much similar, probably more isolated maybe. But in general, the things that actually make humans happy are still the same things that have always made them happy, which is family and friends and everything else is just window dressing i think family and friends and environment actually okay i'll give you environment and therefore if you're saying that your environment should change the whole time with that lack of control lack of being off balance see i think if you happiness, to move around as a move around as a tribe which is let's be honest our evolved state i think we have been taught to place value on place and that's not to say we don't know that there's a lovely place by a river with some trees that's lovely to be in the summer. But in the winter, it's a shithole, so we don't want to be there in the winter. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Which is what nomads did. This is a great hunting ground at this time of year, and it's lovely, and we like living here, and now we're going to move to the next place. Well, I don't know if they thought it was lovely. They probably thought it was necessary, but... It brings you... a whole new meaning to the word digital nomads, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The whole world becomes digital yeah. nomads, all yeah. sailing around, and there's no point having cars anymore. You've just got houses on wheels. Yeah. So the roads would get huge, and you'd just, just be sort of sailing around in these houses. It's just a mobile space. <laughs> well on that happy note I was going to end on a really sad note but I think I think that we should end on the happy note and say goodbye okay unless you want me to tell you the sad note no let's save the sad note for next week oh I'll never remember I'll tell you the sad note okay. so uh, one of the books I read Inherit the Earth the rich people obviously because they're rich they had learnt how to solve the problem of dying they had become immortal but therefore, with that became the power and the money so they could get richer. And obviously, they had more knowledge. But they didn't want young people coming in, taking away from them. Because, of course, they were never going to die. So they couldn't have yeah. more and more people. So they stopped people having babies so that they could always stay in control. So that wasn't the machines. That was the greed of humans. Let's right. go back to digital nomads and living yeah. in houses on yeah. wheels. Well, actually, I think immortality is another one of these things that will life change us. And I'm not talking about immortality, like godlike, you can't be killed. But the fact that you, let's say, would live for 200 years, 300 years, how would that actually affect the society you lived in? You can't retire at 60 if you're going to live to 300. 
And so, but by then you might not be working anyway because the machines will be doing it all for you. So it'd be very boring life. Gosh, I think I'm, I think I might be happy with my lot at 100. Well, let's see. <laughs> These are all the things that we talk about in sci-fi that are really interesting things to, to explore. And I don't think we can know. And I think that's why it's interesting to read about those things. That's why we need to live longer so that we can find out. Yes. Anyway, we've got to go. Our time yeah, is we up. Must go. Lovely yeah. to talk to you and, and you. everybody out there. And see you next week. See you next week. Cheers then. Bye. Bye.